Welcome to the Rockbrook Church Podcast. Our hope is that today's message brings you hope and clarity for your spiritual journey. We love hearing how God is working in your life. Feel free to share any stories of how this message gave you a new perspective and hope. Email us at church at rockbrook.org to tell your story. Good morning, everybody. Last week, Easter weekend, we started a series called Strategies for Stressful Times. We talked about the stress of change and how we many times try to ease the pain of change a lot of wrong ways in our lives. And what we ultimately need to do uh, is to fulfill God's purpose for our life. That is what eases the pain of change. And that purpose is to uh, be connected to God. That purpose is God and to enjoy a relationship with God and take God's way back to him, the only way, Jesus Christ. We had a great Easter, by the way. Thank you for being here for it. I wanna thank uh, our church staff and all the dream team, everyone who serves in all uh, manner of ways uh, to pull off an Easter weekend and uh, week in and week out uh, for many of you. And thank you so much. We had people respond to the gospel. We had people coming back to uh, God and I'm so grateful for our church and its message. Uh, Today's message on stress is only going to last uh, about one minute because what I found is what you can often do is if you have a topic like this, if you uh, just think about the opposite of that thing, it'll give you the solution. And the opposite of stressed, when it's spelled backwards, is desserts. So just um, go get you some. <laughs> and let's pray. <laughs> All right. Uh, thank you for putting up with me. Um, let me just talk for a moment about this sermon before I deliver the sermon. Why are we under stress in our lives? And we all know the factors that are in play. We could all name them. Um, work and family and decisions we have to make. And then you throw in a stressful times. So you throw in the times of inflation and the news and our culture and moral decline. And basically, if things are a mess, it's understandable that we're under stress. When things are a mess, there's stress. And sometimes what we want to hear is a message on how to relieve the stress, how to relieve the pressure. And there's certainly a place for that. In fact, we have messages on that and how to eliminate some of the pressure in your life. There are ways of relief. But before I get into it, that's not today's message. Uh, Because this world is not our home. We are not home yet, amen, somebody. Jesus said, in this world, the way it is right now, you will have trouble, we will have pressure. And if you look at the dictionary definition of stress, stress is when pressure is exerted on an object to the point where it begins to break. I discovered this week that there are actually whole YouTube channels dedicated to this, like this one is a guy has a hydraulic press and uh, he just puts random objects under his hydraulic press and puts them under pressure. Various objects, random stuff, densities, capacities, made out of all different things. And uh, he's just got hours of this. And stress, this gives us our definition. If you're taking notes, you might write it in on the worship guide or on the Rockbrook app that we have available. Stress is when pressure is greater than the capacity to handle it. When the pressure 
in your life is greater than your capacity to hold up under it. You have something in your life and when you don't have the capacity to resist it, you crack. I have this chair here that this would be like a toddler's chair that my sons would sit in. It's got a low capacity for pressure. It actually has a weighted, like it says, this is the capacity and it's much less than what I weigh. And so if you try to fit me into this thing, the capacity is not enough. So this is what you get. And this is some areas of my life, I gotta tell. Doesn't this look like life sometimes? That there's just not enough capacity. And so what ends up happening in our culture is people don't have enough margin, enough capacity for the stress and the pressure they face. So if someone cuts you off in traffic, you're over the capacity, you crush under the pressure. Uh, Things didn't go as planned. Someone says something you disagree with. Everything becomes zero or 100. There's no margin. You make a mistake, you feel like a failure because the capacity isn't high enough to laugh at yourself and say, oh, that was a stupid thing to do and I'll just adjust and keep rolling in life. And there's no capacity to laugh at ourselves anymore, capacity to live in margin with someone we disagree with, capacity to make it through the pressure of inflation and moral decline and the decisions we have to make. And this ends up being what our life looks like. So I wanna take you to a place in scripture where the Apostle Paul is talking about pressure he endured and his capacity to endure it. And this is in where the Apostle Paul wrote to believers in Corinth, which was a city in Greece in the first century, to a church that he started there. He went and preached about Jesus rising from the dead and God's way of salvation. And he wrote to them several times. So we have First and Second Corinthians, two different letters. Uh, those weren't the only two that he wrote. It's believed that he wrote them about four times. But this is the second letter that's been preserved for us. And he's writing with Timothy. And he says, we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired of life itself. He says we are under great pressure beyond our capacity to handle that pressure. And the bad news is, the friend, the pressure's not going anywhere. But what we're going to see in God's word today is that with God's help, we can increase our capacity for the pressure. Now again, I want to be clear, are there things we can do to remove stress in our lives? Yes, there are some things we can do. And I would submit today that if you're in an extreme situation of where the pre you're facing the pressure of uh, a physical abuse or something of that nature, the answer is not to stand up under that. There are things that are inappropriate, that go too far, that you need to get out from that pressured situation. But the many of the pressures of life, you can't remove them this side of heaven. And so we're gonna fast forward to a letter or to a place in this letter where the pressure gets called out and to a place where Paul is defending himself as an apostle because some of the church was criticizing him and begins listening to false teachers and he's 
uh, restating that what he preached is true and that he suffered for it and suffered for Christ because it's true. And here he's talking about what God has let him see and experience. So he starts with this amazing thing of what God has allowed him to see, specifically some things that no one could comprehend about heaven. And he says, I even saw them and I can't comprehend them. But then he goes on and he says, even if I should choose to boast, so if I go on and talk to you about what I've seen and known as an apostle, he says, I I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say, or because of these surpassingly great revelations. Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. This is, I could go on about the revelations and the visions and everything, but I'm gonna boast about my weakness. And that is why for Christ's sake, I delight, don't miss this today. He says, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So he goes from these revelations of heaven, of paradise, he goes from paradise to pain. From the paradise of his vision to the pain of something he's suffering in his life and what he calls a thorn in the flesh. What is the thorn in the flesh? We don't know. Uh, There are a lot of guesses and you can go look up scholars' guesses of what it might be. Uh, A blindness of some type or some say malaria. Um, I mean, they just range from anything and everything. One scholar I read said his wife and... um, I thought that said much more about the scholar than it did the Apostle Paul, right? Like we tend to project our own selves into the text and I bring that up just to say we can get so crazy when we're making stuff up and guessing. When the reality is we don't know what it is and if God wanted us to know, he would have told us. And so I like to call it Paul's unspoken prayer request. Has anyone ever given you an unspoken prayer request before? Where they say, would you pray for me, please? Yes, I'd love to. What can we pray about? It's unspoken. (laughs) Well, can you speak it? (laughs) Can I speak it? (laughs) But what I have found in you've heard me say this before, is that often the greatest struggles in life go unspoken. And very few people know uh, the depth of what you might be dealing with or going through. And I don't believe Paul is advocating in any way for keeping things bottled up here or for just using metaphors or saying unspoken, but rather to the Corinthians in this letter, in this context, at this time, He says, I'm not gonna get specific about the thorn because I don't want that to become the point. 
I don't want that to become the distraction. I'm making a bigger point. So let's just call it a thing. Let's just call it a thorn for now. And I have an acrostic for thorn that you'll resonate with. It comes from all the things that he talks about in chapters 11 and 12. If you're taking notes, it could be a temptation. Uh, he says, uh, who is led into sin and I don't inwardly burn? Do you have a nagging, relentless temptation in your life that's added stress, added pressure to your life? Can't seem to make it go away. It's turned into a lifelong battle. That can be a thorn. A thorn can be hardship. He says, I was uh, beaten with rods, once pelted with stones, three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in the open sea. You might write next to this H, health. And it's why many, many people point to the thorn as being a health thing because he says it's a thorn in the flesh. And health issues can become overwhelming, distracting, they can become a thorn. A thing of great pressure. O could be opposition. He says that he was opposed by people who should have supported him. And maybe you face opposition to your faith at every turn. Your family uh, is not uh, helping you, pushing you forward in your faith, but they're opposing it. Or maybe uh, friends at school are holding you back from your faith. They're opposing it. And there's opposition in, in our times. Uh, the R could be rejection. Paul said, I was rejected by you Corinthians to whom I shouldn't have to prove myself. Maybe you faced a, a rejection from a person or a job. Maybe you've even recently received a rejection letter. And that can be a, a form, some type of rejection. Or the end, let's just write in the word need. Because Paul says there was a need so great and that he was frustrated with his own limitations. When Paul talks about this thorn, he says it was a messenger of Satan to torment me. Uh, to debilitate him, to frustrate him, to torment him. That's a strange phrase to us. He's clear about where it came from. It's coming from the enemy. It's coming from the evil one. But when he pleads with God to relieve it, God doesn't do it. God allows it to happen. Why does God allow thorns to happen? Why does God allow thorns on roses? Why does he allow pain in our lives? It's probably the number one question I found believers have. And it's a reminder, first of all, of the mystery of good and evil in this world. It's also a reminder to me that I don't understand the nature of evil in this world. But God is sovereign. But Paul asks God to take it away and God essentially says, no, I'm not gonna take it away. What I've given you is enough. My grace is enough, it's sufficient. You can stand up against the thorn. You'll find power in the weakness that that thorn brings. And there will be a day when God does away with all evil. One day when Satan is cast into hell with all of his demons and all those who love evil and it will be done away with there. But when Paul looked at it, he realized that Satan's trying to torment me and God's power is greater. And because his power is greater, he can use even this. How, God, how can God do that? How can God use a thorn pressure that may be part of your life? How does God use it? And we're reminded in these verses that the pressure of thorns do a few things and our capacity increases when we remember 
these things. Number one, if you're taking notes, so we see that thorns purify hearts. There was something about the difficulties of life that purifies hearts. That's why God allows some thorns into our garden. He knows the difficulty to allow and he knows the successes to allow. There's a balance between spiritual power and human frailty. And the hard truth to accept is that without this balance, we would become so impressed with ourselves that we would forget to depend on God. And we would like to think that's not true, but Paul realized, no, that's true. That God had allowed such great vision and revelation, but he says again in verse seven here, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now we would like to think, well, I won't become conceited which really shows how conceited we can get because any of us can allow conceit to overwhelm our lives. And the truth is, if everything always goes right, unbroken yeses, unbroken wins, when everything goes right, our heart eventually goes wrong. If things just always work out the way that you plan them, that I plan them, that I plan it and then it goes that way. I budget for it, I cast the vision, people fall in line, and then it happens. I think it, and then it appears. I set a goal, and I achieve it on time. That when that happens for you or for me, our heart eventually goes wrong. We'll begin to think that God has somehow shown a light on us that he hasn't shown on anyone else. And Paul was honest enough spiritually to realize that's exactly why thorns purify hearts. And what I would encourage you to remember as we think about this is think about God saying no, God saying no to Paul's request and God saying no to a prayer in your life or a goal or a dream in your life is that when he's allowed thorns in your life, he's not rejecting you. So just because God rejects an idea that you have or a prayer that you pray, that doesn't mean that he's rejecting you. And God may be saying no to the request, but he's not saying no to you as a person. God was not rejecting Paul as an apostle, as a Christian, as a person. He's just saying no to this request. But isn't it amazing how when we receive a no from God, it makes us very vulnerable. And the lie from the enemy at the right time of vulnerability can start to sound like the truth. So if you don't allow the Holy Spirit to come in and process that area, it can open a door for temptation and the enemy will tempt you with ridiculous thoughts. Like, well, there must be something wrong with my prayers. Or I must not be close enough to God. Or I must not be playing long enough or right enough or... God must not love me anymore. Remember that evil thing that I did, God just couldn't get over it and now this is retribution for that. But we know that that's not how God works. We know that a rejection of a prayer is not a rejection of us entirely. Because Romans 8.1, let's read this one out loud together, says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And God has not abandoned you, he's not rejected you, he's not forsaken you just because you face a thorn in your life. He's doing this to reveal something, number two, that thorns magnify grace. 
There is a life satisfaction that grows out of grace, out of recognizing his undeserved love in your life, then it becomes a gift to be enjoyed rather than a struggle to be endured. You'll still have struggles, no doubt about that, but you see the gift, the gift of grace. And God has given you eternity. God has given you his love. Nothing can take that away from you. So again, Paul says three times, I prayed, I pleaded with God to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That his grace, to show his grace is sufficient in my life. Paul says, as long as I was doing good, my focus was on my gift. But when I came to a low point and I didn't know what to do, my focus shifted to God's grace. And a no will increase your awareness of the grace of God. A pressure will increase your awareness of the grace of God. There are some things about God I cannot find out through a yes. There are some things about God I can only find out through a no. There are some things, absolutely, I learned them through yes. But there's some things you only learn through no. And Paul says, I'm thankful for the no. I'm thankful for the thorns, for the weaknesses. Because without it, I may have never come to know that some things can only be produced by pressure. But pressure doesn't always produce a diamond, does it? Pressure doesn't always produce great. Like, Does weakness in someone's life always bring about more grace and more graciousness in their life? No. Not everyone gets more grace-filled, grace-powered, gracious through a no. Some get more cynical. Some turn away from God. And that's why the third thing that we lean on and we've got to remember is to increase our capacity for pressure. We need to rely on God and put him first. The next verse is from uh, where we started with in chapter one when he said we were under great pressure beyond our ability to endure. And he says, indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death, but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. We're going to rely on God who raises the dead. When you rely on yourself, you only get as far as you can take you. When you put yourself first, you're only dealing with life from your own ingenuity and life principles. So let's just get very applicable for a moment. How do you increase your capacity for the pressures in your life? You rely on God, you put him first. Lots of ways to illustrate this, but uh, I was thinking of a moving truck and just some experiences I've had moving. Or I actually like to help people move. Uh, I figured if I was gonna grow up in the church and be in a small group, be a pastor, I'm gonna help people move a lot, so I might as well learn to enjoy it, right? So I love bringing my tools in my truck and, and, and helping people move, love showing up uh, with friends and, and making it a fun thing to do. What I found is when you show up to help someone move, someone, uh, whether they wanted to or not, ends up becoming the master packer and they just stay in the truck and everyone brings stuff to the truck and they figure out where it's gonna go. Are you with me? That they've gotta Tetris this out and figure out how it's all going to fit. More than once, been helping someone move and we've gotten everything into uh, the truck. You know, you show up and, and you begin un- taking boxes, books and, and, and clothes and laundry baskets and a washer and dryer and all this stuff, loading it up, the truck being full, 
just barely able to close the door and the homeowner goes, oh, I just remembered I have a riding lawnmower in the shed. (laughs) And so you roll out this riding lawnmower and it's sitting in the driveway with a packed full truck. Another time someone, we packed the truck, they said, I forgot I let my neighbor borrow our treadmill, but I'm taking that with us. And they roll over the treadmill into the driveway and you're looking at a full truck. What did we do in those instances? We started unloading the truck, unloading part of the truck, enough for where we could roll the riding lawnmower up into the truck, then put every, start putting everything back, working it around the lawnmower. Guess what? Everything that was in the truck when it was full, now out on the driveway, lawnmower in there, it all fit back in the truck. Same thing with the treadmill. Same thing every time you start with the biggest things first, All the stuff didn't change. All the pressure didn't change. The capacity to handle it changed. And so let me get applicable. Same thing in our life. Can you relieve all the pressure in your time and schedule? You can do some things, but no, there's always going to be pressure. So what do you do? You begin with the biggest thing first. You start with God. You say, I rely on God. You're doing that today. You're coming to church this morning, first day of the week ordering your life around God. You go into your week, say, I'm gonna order my life around the most important relationships, most important things, the time I'm gonna do, big things first. And what you'll find is all the other things still fit. All the stuff you've gotta do still fits. Where it wouldn't fit before, it's strewn out on the driveway, it all fits now because you started with the big things first. Same thing in a, in a, in a budget. Can the pressure change on your budget, on your finances? No, there'll always be stress in areas of finances. But if you begin your budget process where you get paid and the first thing you do is, is go out for food with friends and snacks and buy clothes and get your desires first and then you start that on the truck and you end up looking at a driveway of bills you gotta pay, savings you wanted to do, debts you wanted to pay off, ways you wanted to be generous, and it doesn't fit on the truck. But what happens is if you start with the biggest things, I'm gonna rely on God and put him first. I'm gonna take care of the four walls of our budget, of our households, food and medication and a vehicle and and the bills I've gotta pay and I'm gonna pay down debt and I'm going to save and then I'm going to enjoy the rest. And what you find is over time doing that, that all the stuff fits because you started with what matters most. And so that's what we're gonna talk about in more areas of how to practically do this in in, in this series, how to practically do that in a marriage, through the storms of life, when we're overwhelmed in life. But I wanna close here in chapter four of this great letter, where he says, we have this treasure, this treasure of God in jars of clay, so our human body, to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. So the power to uphold, to bring the capacity, the power to uphold the pressure is coming from God, not from us. Yes, we are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not in despair. So I don't understand it all. I'm confused, but I'm not in despair over that. There's still hope. I'm persecuted. So yeah, I'm being... Pressed in my life, persecuted in my life. People are abandoning, abandoning us, hurting us. But he says, I'm not abandoned by God. 
struck down but not destroyed. I can get up again. Then he ends kind of with a strange phrase. He says, we always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. A clay jar, this vessel, needs to be available so they can be filled with the glory of God. So that its capacity for being pressed on every side increases. And the reason that this is all happening is to show that the power is from God, not from us. He wants to show his glory through your life. So when you are pushed on, you're not knocked over. He says we're given over to death. What does that mean? It means that we're experiencing the sin of this world. We're experiencing what death is in this world, fallenness. And he says we carry about uh, in our body the death of Jesus. He's talking there about the Jesus' death on the cross and the suffering that he went through. And he says, I face death in this world and the circumstances of trouble, but I also carry in my body at the same time that those thorns are happening, that that thing is happening, I'm carrying in my body the resurrection of Jesus, the fact that he rose. And that when those two come together, that's where you come into a place in your life where his life is being revealed in your mortal body. When you apply the truth that Jesus died for you and was resurrected to the troubles that you face every day, that's living the resurrected life. And in one sense, we need to carry around a sign with us that says, cross at work here. And we have these phrases that we use to keep us going like, no pain, uh, no guts, Paul's saying here, no cross, no crown. Like, no cross of Jesus, no resurrection of Jesus, no life. Like, buried with him, risen to walk in a new life. And you recognize the truth of the cross in everyday life. Yes, I'm carrying, I'm participating in the sufferings of Jesus Christ. And Jesus gave his human body for you. And I carry that truth into my everyday life, but not just that truth, I also carry into my life, born again. I carry into my life the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead is at work in me. The truth that he was resurrected for me. And if I don't carry the truth that he suffered for me and died for me, how can I carry the truth that he was resurrected for me? If I reject all suffering, all thorn, how can I take part in the resurrection? They go hand in hand, life and death. But with Christ, in Christ, death will not crush you because you have the power, you have the capacity of eternal life when you rely on him. Let's pray together today as we move into worship and as we consider processing this and thinking about this. Lord Jesus, we confess to you that we are hard pressed on every side. Uh, we're perplexed. We don't know what to do. We're persecuted, we're struck down. And God, we're experiencing uh, mortality. We're experiencing a life in the flesh, just as Jesus come, came to experience. And 
Lord, we don't want to miss out on new life. We don't want to miss out on resurrection. We don't want to miss out on being not crushed, not in despair, not abandoned, not destroyed. And so Lord, help us to remember. Help us to remember uh, that thorns purify hearts. God, we know that you're not rejecting us, you're purifying us, you're making us holy, you're setting us apart. God, help uh, the suffering and the pressure to magnify grace. God, we don't wanna grow more cynical, we don't want to be in despair, we don't want to turn from you. And so we rely on you. We put you first. And God, you may pray this with me today. God, I don't understand it all. I just preached it and I don't understand it all. I don't understand how thorns could bring about grace. and um, Life or death, suffering can bring about life. But I look to your cross. I look to your resurrection and trust in you. God, as we move into worship today, uh, we just focus in on you. God, we honor you in our lives and our hearts in this place. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks for joining us today. We would love for you to get connected to what's going on at Rockbrook Church. Visit us online at rockbrook.org for service times, small group information, and other ways you can discover your purpose here on earth.